So this is Doug. This is Jacob. And you're listening to Best Worst Podcast. Cheers. Brought to you today by uh, the LeBron and Graham Woodford Reserve Double Oaked Bourbon. Um, we're going off piste a little bit with the... Uh, yeah. From our typical single malts, but the uh, wells run a bit dry here. and uh, Yeah, we've got, um, we've got it over ice. Uh, I must admit I'm not a big bourbon <laughs> drinker, but um, it's quite nice with ice. Yeah, it's uh, plus a change, plus it's still whiskey to some people, so yeah. you know, it's uh, <laughs> good for a Saturday afternoon in yep. uh, May, coming off the back of the uh, Cannes Film Festival. Yeah. Um, which neither of us attended. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, uh, it's a pretty exciting time um, looking at Cannes because, I mean, you just instantly sort of think of what are we going to get for um, NZFF this year. Um, yeah. And we usually we usually score well. Yeah, and we usually score really well with the prize winners. And yeah. So um, our plan for today is to talk about some of those prize winners and why we are or aren't excited to see them, as well as um, maybe some of the ones that were off the mark that we can make some. Uh, with any luck, some special pleading that uh, yeah. they show up here anyway. And uh, we might even have a uh, guest who's been to uh, Cannes herself to uh, chip in a few thoughts later yeah, on. But we'll be save exciting. that for... Uh, and tell us about the, the, the various uh, uh, <coughs> strict fashion rules and what have you. <laughs> the ins and outs of going to the festival. Yeah. For those of us who I imagine are 98% of our listeners who uh, have never been and won't be likely <laughs> to go anytime soon. But uh, we can approximate it at home. Um, cool. Do you want to? St- what uh, what do you? What prize winners are you looking forward to? Well, um, I guess I'm to a degree. I'm I'm looking forward to to all of them. Uh, we've talked about uh, the the jury winner. Well, the film that won the jury, which was um, Yorgos Lanthimos Lobster, yes. um, which we've been waiting for for a long, long time, and it's got a massive cast of um, kind of. A-list Hollywood stars, down to your lesser-known um, collaborators with um, Lanthimos and some of his earlier um, pieces, uh, and it, it just looks bizarre and interesting. Yeah. So Lanthimos, of course, is the director of Dog Tooth. Dog Tooth gone on yep. a bit about, and um, we did go on a bit about this last time with Colin yeah. Farrell, John C. Riley, Rachel Weisz, Ben Wishaw, Leah Olivia, Olivia Coleman, who I yeah. love. Yeah, and um, the premise is, is something about um, these people who are single who are brought to this hotel and. Yeah. They can't find love within 45 days. They get turned into an animal. Yeah. Um, and and uh, Lanthimos is the king of some of these surreal premises. He's yeah. had them in all his films. But what's exciting about this one is there are quite a few um, auteurs taking on the English language uh, at Cannes this year. Yeah. And to, with mixed reports of success, Gia's, Gia, Gia Zhangki did uh, Mountains Made to Part. Oh, yeah. and his third um, uh, chapter of that was in English and by all accounts wasn't very successful. Yeah. Uh, there are some other ones we'll talk about that were more successful. Uh, Louder Than Bombs, which I mentioned before, yeah. um, didn't win any prizes and got somewhat uh, mixed reviews, but I think it basically came out, the fans of Joaquin Chur's other work, yeah. uh, Reprise in Oslo, 31st August, will find a lot to like in that film, which stars yeah. Jesse Eisenberg, Gabriel Byrne, and so on. Um, but Lanthimos seems to be uh, have risen to the head of those uh, Tours taking on an English language film, which yeah. is maybe it's um, a sign of the times of what you need for international co-financing, or maybe it's just that he's, um, you know, that there's a passel of semi-established famous actors who want to work on the challenging projects and aren't just interested in being the guy in the room in the Transformers movie, yeah, or whatever. It's yeah, uh, an interesting mix with you know someone like Colin Farrell who's done a few interesting projects, um, but yeah. also you know is 
you'd think of as mainstream as can be kind of thing. Um, Rachel Weiss, who's also done a real mix of projects, but she's I, I really like her as an actress. Um, and then, yeah, it's just, yeah. it should be interesting. True, yeah. Um, and the jury prize is sort of, is unofficially kind of described as the third prize. Yeah. Um, second prize is a film that a lot of people thought should get first prize, and perhaps the only reason it didn't is because it's by a first-time director, and that's mm. uh, Son of Saul by Laszlo Nimes. Um, there's a few interesting th- facts about this one. It was the only film presented in 35mm ah, at Cannes. Yeah. Uh, and it's, uh, he's, Nimes is a Hungarian director, yeah. but he's worked uh, on some of Bela Tarr's films Yes, before. it was the first... AD on Man from London, I believe, yeah. um, which I didn't realise when I heard that. I thought, oh, okay, yeah, this could be quite interesting. Um, I mean, because Son of Saul is, is, is a Holocaust film, right? Yeah. Um, which, you know, there can be great Holocaust films, but it's also, you kind of think... Is there going to be a new approach to it? Or is it going to be more of the same? Um, which is, it seems a bit callous to say about something that's so... No, but it, has, it, it is a well-trod subject yeah. cinematically. And it is um, uh, difficult to for me to get excited about... I mean, apart just apart from the um, kind of grief and justice yeah. of the... Yeah, you know? yeah. But aesthetically, there's been a lot of discussion about yeah. how it um, uses these sort of very shallow focus, long follow shots. Yeah. But, you know, whereas someone like Begotara tends to use a wide yeah. berth of focus, this is quite Shelly, tight yeah. in. So very aesthetically striking from that regard. And takes place over about, I think, 36 hours. Is this, yeah. Um, and the, the premise itself actually yeah. sounds kind of interesting. Yeah. Do yeah. we want to go into that or is that spoiler? Oh, we can, we can, you know, you can close your ears for 30 seconds if you don't want to know the premise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, from what I can tell, it's it's about uh, uh, Jewish POWs who are kind of made to help out in the, either the, the the working or, or function of the mass killing devices um, used in the prisons. Um, and uh, one of the prisoners, Saul, um, uh, finds a, a child's body, thinks it's his son, and then t- attempts to rescue the body to give it the proper Jewish burial rights. Um, and, you know, going with yeah, trying to find a rabbi and all that kind of stuff which is a very personalised and very different kind of take on a Holocaust story I think mm. um, but you know there's plenty to be mined in there yeah, yeah I, I, I mean it's it's definitely caught my attention and mm. the reviews have been positive and I am very much hoping we'll get to see it in um, about eight weeks time yeah, yeah, yeah. he's hoping, he's hoping. <laughs> catching up um, another one that I'm desperate to see on the big screen and I'm hoping will um, as an opening night film uh, on the civic screen is um, Ho Shao Xian's film The Assassin mm. um, and I know that Vendetta Films has that locally so that's oh, okay. very promising yeah. um, he's one of a series of directors who's gone off and um, uh, made his wuxia film which you know yeah, martial yeah, arts yeah, I mean yeah. Wong Kar Wai is the grandmaster unfortunately yeah. never made it here but um, have you seen much Ho Shao Xian? a little bit but no I haven't seen most of his stuff mm. it's one of those directors I've been meaning to catch up on I haven't yet because yeah. um, ever, everyone who knows knows his work is you know gives it great praise um, yeah well I mean for me he's a director that I've often admired more than loved um, his films are beautiful they're often quite restrained in their dramatic storytelling devices um, uh, a lot lots of long shots set in long and duration shots yeah. set in tableaus <clears throat> that are wide and, and with very little dramatic punctuation so that if you're yeah. not um, keyed into them they can feel a bit uh, sleepy to be honest yeah. um, I saw Cafe Lumiere at the last film of a New Zealand film festival 
many years back and I could feel just my body just saying I just can't give you this film what it yeah last needs. film of the run which, man, which is why I'm hoping it's hard. an opening film yeah. because because <laughs> it will command some attention but it is also um, taking everything that he's learned and it's been a passion project that's been slowly being developed for years and years now and so um, that it's come into the world um, it's critics say that it's beauty but beautiful but that there's nothing there um, the people who are pro it say that it's beautiful and ravishing and that there are rich mm. you know deep veins of emotion mm. so um, but, uh, it's, it, it's an essential watch for me I find it interesting and yeah I'd be, I'm very keen to see it as well but I find it interesting that m- many um, Chinese directors and well known Chinese directors it's almost like they, they feel like they at some stage they have to do this yeah. Wish you kind of film. I think it's um, not dissimilar to westerns for American yeah, directors, yeah. where you know, you eventually, like, you know, most directors will be like, oh, I've got to, I've got to get go do, that, that's that's my cultural <laughs> heritage, yeah. you know. That's you know, you can be Jim Jarmusch and still feel like I've got to go do a western. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dead man. And, and yeah, then, exactly. And the Cohens with um, True Grit. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think I think that that's pr- probably something similar. I mean, Edward Yang, who did a Yi Yi, was at work on a Wuxian mm. film when he died. Mm. Um, uh, and yeah, it's it, it's always interesting to see somebody step outside of their comfort zone. Yeah, who's a director that you're uh, quite familiar with and take on something that's a um, privileged form. Uh, what other films are you looking out for? Well, I'm I'm quite keen to see the Palm Duo actually, um, which is uh, Deepan, which is by Jacques Audiard, um, yeah. who people will know from Rust and Bone most recently, and um, A Prophet. Um, yeah, and the beat my heart yeah, skipped, skipped before yeah. that, and um, and yeah. I, I guess he's a director that's for a lot of people, I think yourself included, has kind of floated around a sort of. Um, Reasonable to middling, but not stand out sort of. Oh, actually, I I really run hot and cold. Um, yeah. Rust and Bone, I am I a huge fan of. Yeah. I loved it. You, you weren't keen on the profit. A profit left me completely cold. Right. Um, the beat my heart skipped and uh, read my lips. I both thought were pretty terrific. Although yeah. read my lips goes way back now for me. Yeah. And I, I don't know if I'd hold up to that. But the yeah. beat my heart skipped was a, like I thought a really strong stylistic yeah. exercise. It's a remake of James Tubek's Fingers set in Paris and having recently seen Fingers which is quite a weird film um, and not entirely successful to my mind very 70s and some of its experimentation with all the pros and cons that that entails um, I thought Beat My Heart Skipped was um, a really strong film so um, but yeah the initial reaction of the critics I follow anyway that many of whom were at Cannes when Deepan uh, one was surprise yeah yeah yeah, that it did not um, was not a film that made a strong impression with most of them certainly not an expected Palme d'Or winner (laughs) having sort of read the synopsis um, it does sound a little bit to me something that you might find um, in a it almost sounds like a Fahadi kind of um, setup where you've got uh, some people um, from another country come to France and are trying to make a go of it um, yeah. but in this case it's a bunch of strangers who are kind of pretending to be a family I guess to get status in the country And yeah, yeah I mean to be fair I did like the past and yeah. um, and 
yeah, we'll see. It does. It does have that kind of yeah. sound of this is a film that's good for you, rather than. I mean, part of what I loved about Rust and Bone was its exuberant embrace of melodrama, yeah. and heightened cinematic yeah. technique, whereas The Prophet had a sort of dour literalism about it. Mm. Um, and I think that's. I feel like this many films into ODR, I still don't have a strong sense of his directorial signature. I'm not sure he has one. Mm. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Somebody like Soderbergh um, made wildly divergent yeah. films. Um, but it just means that I can't um, get excited it, yeah. on the strength of yeah. the director for yeah. the film. Yeah. Um, shall we um, dive into the acting awards? Then? Yeah, yeah. Um, what stood out for you? Well, the Best Actress Award was split this yeah. year. So we had um, Emmanuel Bucot Bukot, Buko, um for Monroy and uh, Rooney Mara for Carol, and so they shared that in Carol's uh, Todd Haynes film. Emmanuel Bukot, people may recognise her from um, a couple of films, at least that I um, know of, uh, Police. Police, police. Yeah, which was the previous film yeah. by Mai Wen, who yeah. directed Monroy, and um, and Carlos. Um, she was which in... I never saw. I never saw either of those. Actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Carlos is supposed to be great. The Olivia Yeah, Sayers, yeah, uh, yeah. Olivia Sayers, um, yeah. Carlos the Jackal film. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, so she was in there. So um, this one, Monroy, uh, is about. She plays a, a girl who's in a skiing accident and uh, essentially is deconstructing her her great love the love of her life while she's trying to find some healing and some sort of rebalance in life and is trying to find understand why this why why she was excited about this relationship what was it about it that that worked for her when she's sort of not feeling it anymore at the moment mm. and trying to rediscover that um, which sounds like it could be quite interesting actually yeah yeah I mean the the reports from Monroy that I heard with that it was basically a lot of very indulgent scenes of Vincent Cassell and Emmanuel Bearcat yelling at each other um, and, and we, we if we established, established two things in the history of Bester's <laughs> podcast it's that I don't like Ken Loach and that I don't like, like scenes yelling where, yelling at each other. Hey, we have a guest. How do you feel about Emmanuel Burkott? I don't know. <laughs> uh, that's Sarah Watt, who just wandered in the door. The other prize winner that we're t- going to talk about was uh, Rooney Mara for Carol. And I'm really excited about uh, Carol, which is an uh, adaptation of a Patricia Highsmith novel. Oh, yeah. uh, and she, her work's also been adapted as Talented Mr. Ripley oh, yeah. and Purple Noon. And wasn't there another famous Patricia Highsmith uh, adaptation? Well, Ripley's Game. Ah, uh, yes. Right? Yeah. The John Malkovich one. Yeah, yeah true. Um, and this has Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara as a... Um, couple. I mean, Todd Haynes did Safe and uh, Far From Heaven. Mm. Um, oh, didn't he do the um, the Bob Dylan? Oh, yes, um, I'm Not There. That's yes, right. And uh, Mildred Pierce recently, the five-hour miniseries, oh, yeah. which I've still yet to see. Same, but, um, Kate Winslet, which is yeah. meant to be amazing. We'll yeah. put that on the t- to watch list. Yeah, I mean, he's um, a master of, like, embracing those maybe dated forms of filmmaking that seemingly dated, like melodrama and things yeah. like that, and finding a way into them that reveres the old form and still has a freshness um, yeah. exactly well this yeah. is set in 50s New York yes um, yeah. and it's a couple of married couples I think and the, and the woman um, fall into an affair together oh so, I see yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and so that's um, Blanchett and Mara mm-hmm. yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and um, the other acting award was Vincent Lindon for The Measure of a Man and that, I don't know not an actor who is it I think he may be um, do you know anything I, I, re- I can picture him but I can't remember what I would have seen him in 
Um, yeah, and that was a film. I mean, there were a lot of French films this year at Cannes, and a lot of them uh, were kind of slated, actually, as not being yeah. very good. But um, that film, at least, like the premise is he's a 50 year old that's yeah. starting over in life. Yeah, that sounds interesting, actually. Uh, like, I don't know in which direction um, the particular director would have taken it, but reading the, um, the synopsis makes me think a little bit of um, the um, Dardenne's, in that it's a man in his 50s who's been unemployed for a while, finally gets a job, and then is faced with a moral dilemma and has to decide do I stay in this position? Right. Because it's taken me so long to, to get a job. To get a job when and I'm older. prepared and to let yeah. it go. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. And so there's that kind of that moral dilemma and that. Uh, but I don't know if, that, if, if he's taking it in a, in a sort of a social realist kind of Way direction. Or, or more yeah. mannered. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. But, um, I mean, that kind of setup appeals to me. Yeah. i tell you what I think Lindon was in before you look it up and prove yep. me right. And, <laughs> I, and I'm too late. I think he was in the French version of The Next Three Days. The one where he breaks his wife out of prison. Is that Tell No One? Or is no. That a, oh, um, there was an original French one. My bet is that, that he was in that um, before Russell Crowe and the blonde one who's not Diane Kruger, or who might, indeed, <laughs> or who might be Diane Kruger. It's anyway, any, anyway, it, if it's not him, never mind. Yeah. We never had this conversation. What conversation? Um, yeah. <clears throat> um, that sounds good. That does sound good. Diane Kruger, isn't her other name not Charlie Theron? Huh. <laughs> I see what you <laughs> The one who's there. not, that's right. Yeah. Vincent Lindon been in lots of stuff by the way he was in the, um, the Bastards the Claire Denis film most recently oh, yeah. I'll just randomly shout out things intermittently yeah. as yeah. I scroll back through but um, I know that you were looking to Macbeth uh, yes I work in education circles now and indeed all the educators in my life are extremely excited that somebody has probably trumped Polanski uh, so that's Michael Fassbender and the beautiful Marion Cotillard mm. who is apparently well some some reviews had said that she was a, um, not that great with the accent the Scottish accent hadn't they whereas um, others had said that she completely owned the role so that is something to be excited about I've only seen the 30 second uh, snippet of the coronation which looks fine and the 30 second snippet of one of the battle scenes and I think what's interesting for me is I mean one thing that's 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 um, been remarked upon and is notable is that it looks a little bit like you'd said a cross between Braveheart and something because they've got the paint on their the pale blue paint on their faces but it also the use of of like it's a 30 second snippet yeah. of two armies descending upon one another and then it breaks into this very 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 slow-mo slow-mo and it just seems like a very modern um, stylistic choice like mm. it almost goes I remember when Brotherhood of the Wolf came out back mm. in the day <laughs> and I remember those fight scenes vividly and it looking like something I'd never seen before so it's almost as if they're going to inject an incredibly old story with um, very new sort of technical um, production techniques and and that kind of thing. The other thing that's interesting to me, though, is somebody who teaches Macbeth currently is apparently that's not all Shakespearean dialogue, but there are snippets of... uh, Yes, somehow, and yet there are bits that are direct from the play. So I'm not quite sure. I haven't investigated to see exactly how much of it is... Well, I, yeah, you should I, have an inter- interesting cadence in. Right. Yeah. Well, it's um, it's the director is the Australian uh, Justin Kurzel, and this is only his second film. His first film was uh, Snowtown.
Snowtown or the Snowtown Murders. Oh, I haven't and seen it, it but I that haven't. Keeps but getting, this is to. the the very worst of. <laughs> it's a very polarizing film, yeah. and I, I, I saw it when I was in uh, Melbourne actually before it had come out here, and I I walked out of the film on a beautiful winter day that was quite sunny, and I just felt like I'd bathed in filth for two hours. Mm. Um, and it's filth it, as in gratuitous filth, as in a bit icky, like, it, like a Vincent Gallo movie, or filth <laughs> as in this was dark. I, 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 I like just Gallo. Say, I like the brown body. No, but do you mean like I feel soiled or do you mean I feel bummed out? I mean that it was two hours largely of sadistic murder, often shot um, with very shallow depth of fields and like kind of this very intimate sort of way that and that kind of sense of naturalism that creates sort of a maxima, maximizes the upsettingness yeah. of it. It was and based on true story, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, and it, it, but it seemed... Um, Gratuitously? Yeah, it, it just seemed calculated to upset, and that was kind of all I got out of it. Um, and and I found it just and it, and it, and I heard a few, kudos a few to comments him, yeah. to that to that to that event. Yeah, yeah. It's and, a, it and was incredibly hard who, to watch from people who would generally. Can are, are into, film, yeah, at least once a week. Genre film yeah, right. yeah, and 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 to that extent, you know, he made a film that doesn't glorify these people who are real life killers he doesn't mm. you know Scorsese and then make it oh mm. look how cool that was yeah before they yeah. dive into the deep um, and it's just like it's unpleasant from the get go mm. and it's not comfortable and it's not nice and um, but so on a level he should be commended for that on the other hand it was a very unpleasant experience for me that I felt like why did I even Mm-mm. do that it also reminded me of what Haneke was trying to do with funny games which oh, is yeah. like yeah. you know make it so unpleasant yeah. That if you stay with it, it's an indictment of you as the viewer, mm-hmm. which has always struck me as well. Yeah. Okay. So why, <laughs> if if I walk out, you, you, you I, yeah, yeah that, that 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 may be your goal, but that I I I don't necessarily need to put myself through that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I'm fascinated. You know, it will, and I've heard that this version of Macbeth is very violent as mm-hmm. well. Um, and embarrassingly, I may have seen Snowtown, but I've never seen. I've only seen okay. Kurosawa's version of Macbeth. Oh right. Uh, of blood so and that was many years ago and all I remember is to share Mifuni covered with arrows like a porcupine so but that, all I remember from Polanski's is a head being lopped off and, and bouncing down some stairs and I remember being pretty horrified but thrilled by that so um, and I've, I've seen some partic- almost pantomimish um, BBC production from back in yeah. the 70s or something yeah. it's interesting yeah. actually trying to find clips on YouTube to show the kids um, just to flesh out certain scenes or to give them a bit of you know an overview and whatnot yeah. it is really Really hard. There is there's a McKellen and Judy Dench version. Oh wow! That you would expect to be awesome, and it's so boring, and it's well, it's the witches scene from uh, Blackadder season one. Oh well, there, there is that. You know, I should maybe look that up. You're right. And there's Scotland, PA, of course, which is the version of it set in a uh, fast food restaurant in Pennsylvania. Oh, with that's Christopher great. Walken. I didn't know that. Uh, that yeah. sounds awesome. <laughs> it could be. Mm. We didn't probably mention before when our guest joined us that she's Sarah Watt of the Sunday Star Times uh, and also my fiance. So those are all things that are true. And also that she's been to Cannes herself. And that was uh, part of the reason to have you on today. Thank you. Tell us about the Cannes experience, Sarah. Thanks for asking, Jacob. I don't talk about it very often. (laughs) (laughs) It was one of the most extraordinary 
experiences of my life. So back in, I think it was 2012 I went, I was working in a very different job at the time and I, I was working in the kind of corporate job that I got a bonus. And um, I don't what I don't know what I know what possessed me. My sister and brother-in-law, I think, were planning a honeymoon or a trip, and my parents started planning a trip. And I thought, you know what? I need to go on a trip. Now I was single, I was footloose, fancy-free, and for some reason I thought, oh, I wonder when the Cannes Film Festival's on. And so I checked the calendar, and this honestly, this would have been the January of the year. Checked the calendar, found out that it was May, and booked myself a trip to Europe on the bonus that this um, unnamed corporation had so kindly given me. Thank and, you, Unnamed um, Corporation. <laughs> thank you. Um, and I suppose the reason I mention that is because, as any journalist in this country will know, unless you work for television, I suppose, I'm sure that Kate Roger didn't pay her own way to Cannes, and I'm sure David Farrier doesn't have to pay his own way around the world to yeah. do things, but um, but certainly the Sunday Star Times ain't paying nobody to mm. go to Cannes. So I thought, well, I'll take this trip to Europe on my own dollar. But wow. the beauty of being the Sunday Star Times film critic was that I was able to get press accreditation. Right. Um, As most of our listeners will know, Cannes is the first in the the round, if you will, the season of international film festivals. Um, And uh, I've been to France several times, speak a bit of French and and thought, this is a bit of me. So I went down to Cannes for 12 heady days. Now, there was a lot of anxiety before going because, uh, for me, because I just didn't know what to expect. I'd only ever seen pictures of people on the red carpet. I knew that the celebrities went. Kate had said to me in a very brief conversation, make sure you have at least one nice outfit. Um, And and so I I guess there was this this sense of I don't really know how can rolls and I don't know what to wear and I don't know what matters and what doesn't and how does it all operate. It'll come as no surprise. It's an extremely well-oiled machine. And so on arrival in Cannes, on the typical sort of bright, hot, sunny day with me with my wheelie suitcase down the the cobbled streets of, uh, of of Roman times made my way to the palais where all the, the press were descending from around the world and got my little pass and um, thereafter it was pretty much 12 days of getting up at 7 in the morning in my little rented accommodation drinking a lot of coffee, zooming along the waterfront to the the, the Palais de Festival, the main um, mm. block and uh, and going up the red carpet at 8.30 in the morning to watch the, a film for the first time, you know, that at first time it's been screened outside of, of Obviously, the festival programmers, I suppose, uh, and the, and the, the the people producing it. Mm. So the press get to see it before the actual before world the premiere, stars, right? Right. So this and, is the thing. And like, what kind of numbers of people are turning up at eight thirty in the morning? A lot. Really? I don't know. I can't. I'm not very good at. Was it full? Were they full cinema? Honestly, I remember, for example, I remember seeing mud, and I sat yeah. upstairs at the in the the the, the big the main cinema. Yeah. And we were certainly full up. I, oh, I want to say we were full up the top. Actually, you know what? Somebody is going to hear this and they're going to be able to dispute this. And maybe my memory doesn't serve. You overestimated but I'm, listenership. Yeah, well, <laughs> but I'm not, but I'm not, it feels like a lot of people, there was yeah. hewing involved. And okay. we, we well, had, we no, had, I mean, that's indicative, yeah. Right. And we had different colored lanyards according to um, our sort of um, Oh, there's a picking place. order of press. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. Hell like, yeah. An official picking order. F- official. And yeah. I can't remember if it's white or something with white spots, which is the very top. I do know that the bottom is... It was either yellow or orange, 
and then there was maybe pink second to last and then pale blue which was my level was like third to bottom I guess we're talking out of maybe six to eight different, well, different New, colors New Zealand's not on the bottom right there. that's right that's right that's right um but it, what it meant was that I had to be there queuing up and yeah. in some instances not able to get into a screening necessarily it's like the priority lane at the airport you know absolutely you're, that's not, right. you're not in that lane you're that's right that's right you've got the wrong color lanyard so you're not coming in but um but certainly there was a, a hell of a lot of queuing so Doug to your point 8 30 in the morning we would sit and watch mud or uh rust and bone or whatever it might be and then the day would unfold and you'd go yeah. see other shows and then that evening would be the big red carpet celebrity premiere okay so i'd been told take a frock and i didn't really realize that you could go to Cannes and not do the red carpet at night thing um i was very lucky in the early days of my 12 days there i hooked up with a canadian family the uh, old film critics actually the dad peter howell writes for the um toronto sun star oh with jake howell the son. that's right yes. so that's right so there's peter howell's the dad um and he and his wife uh, and their son Jake um, routinely go to Cannes every single year and Jake's making quite a name for himself writing for Movie City News yeah David Pollan site yeah right and um, and so I was really lucky to to hook up with that them as a family and it became apparent that we could just go for pizza in the evening and have a nice evening and then go to maybe the 1015 screening of room 239 or whatever 239 237 237 yeah. I went to the room next door but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so you know, so that was all possible. Uh, so I didn't have to do the, the red carpet thing. But talking about the red carpet, you know this this recent palaver about women have to wear high heels and all that, oh, yes. and how the um, festival organisers sort of came out in a very lukewarm way and said, no, that's not necessarily the case. Uh, yes, it fucking is. As far as I know, it was very stringent. And I know that if men turned up to the red carpet uh, with scruffy shoes, they'd either be sent away or their shoes would be polished. You could get your shoes polished on the side of the the carpet that was what I heard anyway uh, so that predisposes having um, shoes that can be polished. Oh, yeah, no, that's <laughs> I saw a picture of John C. Riley in what looked like trainers, and one of his. Yeah, and was yeah, John C. Riley? Yeah, but he, he was, was probably in a film or something, was he? Yeah. <laughs> well, he was in at least the Lobster and Tail of Tales. Yeah, yeah. Well, was he allowed to wear them, or was he sent yeah, away? Uh, he was. Uh, he had a picture taken on the red carpet. I wasn't. I don't know the blow by blow. But I imagine yeah. if I turned yeah, up in Cannes with my sketch and I didn't see get tossed out of the town. Well, yeah. So it's a, so it's a funny business actually, um, and it was and it was utterly thrilling, and it was like the film festivals that we're all used to yeah. in Auckland or wherever, completely overwhelming, exhausting. So how many films would you see a day? Uh, you, to be honest, I can't pretend that I was like a four a day type girl at all. Probably best I did was three a day. Um, yeah. So and I. That, that how, how did you fit them all in? Oh. Uh, so first one would have been at eight. Th- I can't remember the exact timetable. There would Im- there was always an eight thirty screening in the morning. Maybe I would have done one early afternoon maybe a four o'clock-ish one yeah. there'd be two in the evening but the 8.30 one would be the, the big oh yes the big fancy yeah. and then as I say there were because of course you've got your, your, your official selection haven't you is that what they call it? yeah, yeah. Competition. The, competition yeah right the in competition films and then you've got your uncertain regard films and 
But I tell you what, I got to meet Taha Rahim from A Prophet. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, a Prophet wasn't in that year. The film that he was there for was called... Our Children? Our Children in English. Um, it was called A Perdre la Raison in French, which means literally, well, I think literally to, to lose your reason, to lose your mind. And it was about a true life story of a mother committing infanticide. And she was um, played by Emily Duquesne. Oh. Um, so I met them and got an interview with them, which was all very, like, wonderful. And I have them on my um, dictaphone, but no interview came out of that. No published interview came out of it. Because it may surprise you to know that as much as it was a big deal for me to be over there and to capture all these films prior to their coming out at our festival... It wasn't really a contemporary Sunday Star Times readership kind of <laughs> thing. Do you know what I mean? So whereas the Canadians were filing, you know, oh, there's this fabulous press room at the Palais de Festival, uh, and we all descend upon there the minute that the film comes. Oh, the minute the film comes out, you then go queue to get into the press conference. And oh, I went. Right. I was in the press conference, for example, when Sean Penn and his crowd were there. I don't even think there was a film or a documentary. They were there because they were currently in Haiti. So it was him, Paul Haggis, and I should be able to remember that the woman who was with them, and it was all about their Haiti kind of mm. um, efforts and that sort of thing. I saw John Cusack in the flesh. Ooh. I had a thrilling moment standing outside, standing in a queue for the loo after one movie, and suddenly Ewan McGregor walks past within a foot of me, followed by... Um, Did you John, find yourself John... mysteriously getting out of the queue? And... No, I, I was all just like... Oh. And then um, Jean-Paul Gaultier, oh. a couple of feet behind him, and I... then um, Alexander Payne, a couple of feet behind him. Oh, wow. So... So have you ever seen Femme Fatale? <laughs> what? No. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it said it can. All right. So, um, yeah. no, we'll watch it sometime, not. and then you can tell me whether it's uh, whether it's just <laughs> like that. Yeah. I, I've got a, just a kind question because mm. I I know very little mm. about the town itself. Mm. How big is this place? Um, or small? Yeah, I'm not I'm not good with. Um, Describing stuff like that, but it's a small town. But it is a sm- are, 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 yeah. we, are we talking like um, we talking maybe you know Napier, or we're we talking Huntley? <laughs> oh, it's not as small think, as Huntley. I think we're talking a hundred talking... to a couple hundred thousand people. Maybe? Okay, I'm not sure people-wise, but I mean size-wise, it would feel like Napier. Oh yeah, okay. I've actually I've been to Cannes, the city, um, uh, just very briefly, and you know, it kind of <clears> like a lot of French cities or French towns. You know, it's along the shore, and so yeah. there's quite a developed and up the hill. sort of bit around the shore, and then it sort of grows gradually <clears throat> dissolves up the hill um, and yeah I mean it's hard to t- it was hard for me to tell yeah uh, exactly how many but it was yeah beautiful it certainly doesn't place. feel like Lyon or Paris or any of the Nice or yeah any of the big places and so how much of your wardrobe did you wind up using at the end of that this? Is actually, that is such a good question. Because I did take several frocks and outfits that, of course, then turned out not to be necessary at all. Oh, the stress of packing. <laughs> uh, and I was away for five weeks all up as well. So, um, Yeah, so that's mm. right. Um, how much? Oh, well, I bought a beautiful pair of shoes. I bought a beautiful pair of um, black sparkly high heels here in New Zealand, especially to take with me. And I wound, I wound up wearing them once. My God, they were painful. And I I haven't worn them since because my god they're so painful but it was quite fun to buy them in overland in, in i think it was shore city galleria or something like that and the girl goes is it for a special occasion and we go well i'm, I'm heading to the Cannes film festival in france and did she just go did she she was like i've never heard anyone you know going doing 
that. Well, she knew what it was. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that was kind of cool. I never went back and said to her, I didn't wear them on the red carpet. <laughs> but um, but it, the nice thing is, like as I mentioned, some of my anxiety was around sort of the protocols, mm. the administration, the making mm. sure you're in the right place at the right time. And the minute that I kind of knew the, the, the lay of the land, knew the drill, um, it, it was fine and it was, it was fantastic. Um, and I saw some terrific films and saw a whole bunch of terrific people and uh, what were you standout films from that year um, Rust and Bone most definitely yeah oh, that would I loved fantastic. it I loved it and I was so surprised and disappointed when it wasn't programmed into our festival here that that, that um, same year that same year and I was in touch with one of the, the programmers who <laughs> said that she just didn't she goes she lives in Paris I thought well, it certainly Sandra? did Sandra Reed used yeah. to live in Paris mm-hmm. and go down to Cannes and uh, she just didn't didn't love it and I thought what a great marketable film you know um, I thought uh, Pedro La Raison was also an, uh, an excellent film. I saw mm. Room 237 and indeed Room 239, the sequel, <laughs> uh, were, were fascinating. And that was a cool thing to watch quite late at night. Oh, um, I love that film. For, yeah, yeah, for all the, the fanboy um, interest and all that sort of mm-hmm. thing. But you know what? I saw the Central Park Five documentary oh, about the yeah, Central yeah. Park Five. Right. And I remember finding that quite disappointing. Um, Mud, I did not love. I know that goes against a lot of people who thought that that was a. a, a yeah, I a thought it was. I thought it was all right. Yeah. I haven't seen it so. so. Reality, Matteo Garoni's oh. um, second film, Reality. I, I actually really, really liked. Loved that. Same. I yeah. really liked it. It didn't get a lot of love in some quarters. Well, it didn't, but it but it did Highly win. Highly stylized. But I think it won the second yeah. prize at Cannes, did it not? Uh, I, f- I feel like it, it did might win a prize. Won, I think. Yeah. yeah. Might have won the Grand Prix, which is the not yeah. the Palme d'Or, obviously. Yeah. Which is interesting because he's was back this year with the tale of tales and which mm. didn't win any prizes whatsoever and mm. even though it was the i think the the first film of competition that played mm. yeah um and was yeah very i tell you what i saw there was amour Oh, and yeah. um, so Amour was everything that it was expected and anticipated to be. And that a lovely, was, sparkly love film. Yeah. Lovely yeah. film. So <laughs> gut buster, didn't yeah, walk out, like, oh, my sides. Yeah, I felt like I had bathed in filth. Uh, no. um, that, was, that was extraordinary. The, I'll tell you what, was a, what else was lovely from a New Zealand perspective. Um, that was the year that of the 10 short films in competition, oh, yes. Zia Manvawala's Night Shift mm. was, uh, was in competition at Cannes. So I met Zia and her producer and Matt and and it was really thrilling to be in the screening of those mm. films and to see the New Zealand Film Commission logo zhuzh across the screen and then to watch my airport and South mm. Auckland and Samoan people you know um, on, on screen in Cannes that was beautiful and it's a shame that she didn't win I, I thought hers was certainly in the best two or three of the ten mm. um, but yeah no, that was that was pretty neat oh great so yeah <sighs> you pulled it all back to me. I haven't thought about it in ages. <laughs> we'll go. We'll go again. We'll go again. Yeah. Well, I'll go again. We'll go sometime, huh? Yeah, I know. I know that Lumiere Reader sent people before Brennan. Yeah, uh, sent been, him. Well, well he, he was living in Europe at the yeah. time. Oh, right. So I don't think it was. I think it was more accreditation through than yeah. like yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lumiere is not known I don't, for I don't think, its I don't uh, think cozy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's the best. Uh, uh, travel packages that you can bag on the back of coverage on Lumiere Reader, yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, 
hopefully, yeah, we'd both, both be able to cover it if we uh, find ourselves in that. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to get along. Although I suspect that um, there might be somewhere else I'd be heading first. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it is it is um, strange in that we do get quite a large number, increasingly yeah. large number of those films two months afterwards. Yeah. Um, before, like, I mean, I follow a lot of American film critics on Twitter. Yeah, we get them And the before. first that oh, they do. get to see those films is at Toronto, yeah. which is in September. In September. So yeah. I've had I'm fairly film, sure that yeah. Bill told me that New Zealand is the first off the blocks. Um, the, the Australian uh, Australian, yeah, Sydney yeah. and oh, Melbourne and Sydney will and get Melbourne. some as well. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Sydney may be getting increasingly more because they. I saw this year they booked in some before they even debuted at Cannes. Yeah, right. because um, Sydney, right. Sydney is very soon after Cannes. It's, it just started. Yeah. Gosh, so and, they have and, to yeah. make that call yeah. sight so, unseen. Yeah, yeah, so they can get stuff that then gets slated and be like, oh, yeah. come see the film that everybody at Cannes hated. hated. Yeah. Um, although sometimes but that's Melbourne, good. You know? yeah. yeah, we have a really interesting mix. It's interesting because with um, NZIFF and Melbourne, there's a real... Um, there's some sort of crossover, particularly with things that get picked up by particular distributors that kind of cross the ditch. Mm. But there's also kind of a, a quite a difference. I, I used to, when our yeah. friend Nige was um, living in Melbourne, we'd mm. quite often compare notes and send um, programs back and forth um, about what had made it there and what had made it here. And, and Melbourne's generally a bigger festival, but they don't always get quite the pick that we get sometimes. Yeah. That's interesting, yeah, because yeah, yeah. Melbourne is a city that's so much larger, and yeah. I often look at their program and be like, oh, they've got that and that. Mm. But at the same time, it's like, well, they're a city of 4 million people in yeah. 1.5 yeah. and realistically um, there's very few slots at the New Zealand yeah. Film Festival where I'm like oh I'm free and I can fit a film in but there's yeah. nothing I'd like to see yeah, um, yeah. so it's not like if new, if the film festival here well, program and, more films I can actually like, go we're a, it's a national festival we don't have uh, uh, we don't have we, we're not big enough to support a regional festival True. as such um, mm. but it just means that with um, perhaps more pull I don't know but you know Bill and the team did do a fantastic job of um, getting picks out of can. Yeah, that's true because yeah. we can do sixteen screenings across the yeah, country right. or whatever. Yeah. However many centres we're because at at this I, point. And in now, time. Like, I don't know when it expanded because, in my mind, it was always you know Auckland, Wellington, and then you had the other big centres occasionally. But now the, the, it just goes mm. right across the it country. It goes on a bit of a road trip, yeah. doesn't which it? is fantastic. It is you know? neat. It's also a product of the DCP era. Yeah. Whereas yeah. before it was like, well, you have to have this print that will. Mm. Oh, there it's like here's a hard drive. Now, you, know? just, yeah, yeah. now you just need. The right password and the right time set. Has that yeah. been a problem here ever, though? Um, it has once or twice. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Because yeah. I've never had that at a screening. There, there was um, one. I know there was one screening where um, it, it went ahead, but um, I, was, I think I was talking. I think it was Bill I was talking to who said that they they called the UK to try and get the unlock code because it wasn't working, and they managed to get someone at some ridiculous hour of the morning. Oh no! Um, <laughs> who, who was like, "Yeah, I can help you," and and it sorted. Um, While yeah. everyone's but, in the cinema. Yeah. Or waiting, but it, yeah, it's, yeah. it's just. Um, but I've heard of that happening at New York Film Festival. But they had to cancel a screening like, um, was of it Black Hole and Ice um, that had. Oh yeah, that the, came the, without the without the, the subtitle subs. file. Yeah. yeah, that's true. I did. But hear that was about a, that, that was yeah. a screening I was supposed to be at, and, was, and you know I, but, I couldn't fit the. the but that happened screen. with Limits of Control on Thirty Five. Yes, well, I was at that so. screening as well. Where, um, <laughs> what, that was that was um, that was um, that wasn't DTP. That was film, and one of the the first reel was stuffed. But because it was Jim Jarmusch. 
Bruges. Mm. We did. No one quite knew what was going on. Yeah. The people who were screening it didn't really know. Yeah. And we're at Civic. They were playing it. Um, did you hear about this? No, I don't know. But I'm thinking of a similar sort of situation. The first reel played. Right. And the audio was about two minutes out. And so it started with some weird audio that had nothing to do with the film when the credits, uh, where the front part was loading that had no kind of sound. And then you had these subtitles popping up, sometimes with t- talking that had nothing to do with it, sometimes with no talking. And then, yeah, and then it would just kind of eventually you'd get the stuff and you're like... He might, he might have done that? this on purpose. Yeah. He might have, <laughs> but we're not sure. Yeah. And then all of a sudden yeah. it kicked back in after the second reel. So, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was bizarre. And they redid it, but I actually kind of... I think... <laughs> I can't remember if I did both screenings or not. I think I probably did. I love that film anyway. That's yeah. stickability. What was Beautiful. the film that came out in the festival and it was the full-length one? David Larson absolutely adored it. Mood and Indigo. Then, right. And then they cut it to shreds oh, yes. for a general release. And we yeah, went, Michelle Gondry. Um, right. And we went along to Mood Indigo to the, the cut version and they didn't have subtitles to start with. And I thought, oh, gosh, I wonder if we're not meant to know what's going on. And... Um, and I ran up the aisle to David, whose French is better than mine, and he said, well, I kind of understand, but um, but I don't think this is quite right. And he went out, and sure enough, they'd mm. forgotten to turn on the subtitles or whatever it was, oh, so we got to watch gosh. it again, and it was still dreadful. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but it's funny, isn't it, not knowing whether that's the director's yeah. choice or not? Like, like, with the mainstream film, you'd know that for sure, but occasionally with the art house directors, you, yeah. are they doing something for well, effect? Well, I yeah. saw Woman in Gold. I went to a preview of Woman in Gold, which yeah. is a mainstream movie with Dame Helen, and and the lovely Ryan Reynolds and um, a bunch of the, the early scenes and flashbacks to Germany mm. and there were no subtitles and I thought this is very clever and I was all ready to give it another star on top of whatever yeah. just to give it some um, recognition for not treating us like dummos and I thought yeah I can kind of tell what's going on yeah. by what's happening on screen and then half an hour in they came in and went oh sorry sorry because I thought this has got a little bit yeah, challenging yeah. <laughs> what if what she's saying really does matter and it turned out that again the print hadn't uh, wasn't the one with the subtitles and so we um we had the choice to either sit through it from the beginning or to um uh, go watch it another time and I opted for the latter and it didn't turn out to be that great and it, it lost that star but um but yeah I did think for a minute there good lord mainstream movie being super clever and well uh, that happens occasionally like um Melissa and I um have <laughs> recently been um not catching up, but we we, we we were never Mad Men watchers, um, and people would talk about how great it was. Um, and then recently, um, we've been watching it on Netflix, and um, and it is as good as everyone says it was. It is. And it's fantastic. Yeah, it's so mm-hmm. good. But they do some things like that where they have um, other language stuff that's non-subtitled, mm. um, which I really like mm. when it's not the entire thing. Mm. So you're not like missing the entire story. But there are certain parts where characters come in, um, maybe a family who are French-speaking or whatever, the mm. French-Canadian-speaking family, and and they don't always subtitle their interactions. Mm. Um, but you can kind of get the gist of what they're saying by, you know, you can tell that they're trying to obfuscate their communication with some of the other parties but mm, you can mm. kind of tell what's going on by the tone and the emotional sure. kind of interaction which is yeah. great and I love when people do stuff like that yeah. well, it's, a, it's a really powerful tool when yeah. used right for audience identification because yeah. um, if you're you you're understand. being told yeah. whether or not 
you're supposed to understand what's yeah. going on. Um, and it, when it's done well, it's really great. When it's done poorly, it just feels like this arbitrary yeah. stylistic choice of like, oh, now we're going to tell you. Now we aren't. Yeah. Um, but it's also there's also that thing that subtitles are always an interesting work of translation where you're yeah. always losing things. Yeah. And, um, you know, you'll see some films in English uh, where you're just like how would you ever capture like the verbosity and the, the rapidity yeah. of this exchange yeah. in subtitles that makes you appreciate what you're losing as a yeah. viewer when mm-hmm. you only get the subtitles? Yeah. True. Mm. Yeah. And you can't How do they do subtitles in Can Do they do French and English? Gosh, that's a good question. They definitely do English. Yeah. But would they do, I assume they do French as well. I don't remember. And are they surtitles where they're below the screen rather than actually on screen? I'm sure that the English subtitles are actually on it, but at the bottom, so probably yeah, subtitles. Um, do you know, I can't remember whether there were two lots of subtitles or not. I'll, um, yeah. I, could, I could look at my blog on www.lenalamont.wordpress.com. Uh, if you want a blow-by-blow of what it was like to be there, that's where you should be reading. And I, maybe I've said there, or maybe I haven't at all. I can't quite remember. Okay. But you'd, you'd assume, like, In the Fog. In the Fog was one of my less enjoyable moments yeah. at Cannes that year, and that's Russian, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Sergei Lozinska, yeah. uh, Ukrainian. Lozinska, who's Ukrainian. Oh, yeah, sorry. Lozinska. Oops, yeah. that matters. Um, so I'm sure that there were, would have been French and English yeah. titles, but and, I can't uh, remember. And they must be off screen, some of them, surely, because that would be taking up a lot of real estate to have two sets. Don't know, eh? I don't remember. Don't remember how that could have happened. Hmm. I saw Journey to Italy. They were doing a re-release of um, Journey to Italy. The Rossellini oh, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The King yes. Classics yes, bar. It was. Yeah. yes, it was. That was depressing as ever, the second time around. <laughs> was it well attended? Because yes, it, it was. Uh, I've heard um, people before complain that, like, you know, everybody goes, runs to the new films and nobody goes and watches the Oh, yeah, the no, classics. it was. It was. It was. It was in a small, it was in a small screening room. I, I, oh, I don't yeah. mean, like... Uh, 70 people small but I mean it was in like a large auditorium kind of place rather than the, the main cinema mm. and I'll tell you who else I saw in there for a and a was Alexandre Desplat the, oh, right, yep. the yep, composer, the composer yep. uh, and that was pretty neat actually that was rad um because I think five of his compositions were in the films that were... Maybe it was more, <laughs> He's but about as prolific as, like, Takashi Mika is yeah. directing films. Right, right. Um, yeah, I remember when he did the score to Birth, I'm like, oh, this is a guy to follow, and now he's everywhere. He's yeah. Godzilla and Grand Budapest. Yeah, yeah I must admit, I'm not keen on all of his work. The, ni- the thing that I applaud in him is, unlike Hans Zimmer, for example, you can yeah. pretty much always hear a Zimmer soundtrack, whereas wow. I quite like the fact that, obviously, Desplat has, and it's Desplat, apparently, not Desplat, but nonetheless, right. um, or Desplat, um, he does have a slightly discernible style, but it doesn't sound like he's repurposing his content, yeah. like Philip Glass, yeah. for example, who is also prolific, yeah. but I think that Philip Glass just goes, all right, which arpeggio shall I use for this? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. we'll go with the E flat. That, yeah. was, that was a good one, you know, and, and yeah. knocks that one out. So yeah, that was pretty neat. That was some of the cool shit about Can. Well, actually, everything about Can was amazing. Oh, wait, but... no, it's the uncool shit. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, well, I'm not, no. I don't mean that so much but that was some of the good stuff was that were those extraneous like I, I tell this anecdote about how I sat down at the Woody Allen documentary and Woody was not there to my recollection but a bunch of people related to the film were and I sat down and I was uh, you know getting ready for it and there was a little bit of an introduction at the beginning and this guy came along and sat in the seat in front of me and he kind of had buffy hair and I was like mm-mm buffy hair dude you better sit low in your seat or so I'm going to be saying something <laughs> yep. and then sure enough they're on stage and they're saying 
thing where some of the filmmakers are here. Well, yep, great. And we'd like to welcome so-and-so. And our producer, Britt Ratner, is here. Brett and, and the guy in front of me stood up. And I was kind of like, oh, it's Brett Ratner. I wish I had sort of said to him, dude, you better sit lower because I can't see past your stupid hair. So was, was the Woody Allen documentary sort of like San Andreas, that other uh, her produced film? It was so similar. It's honestly like I felt like I was watching a remake. Uh, the Woody Allen documentary was fascinating as well. Was it the four-hour cut or was it the shorter version? It was shorter version, but it but it was the version of that four-hour. Was it made for TV or something? I think it was made for American HBO television. or something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, it was PBS. really great. It was fascinating. So, yeah, there was heaps of good stuff. Sure. I'll, I'll just say one final anecdote, just to give you some ambiance. Please do. Um, I had looked up Airbnb and found a fabulous little... Um, of a little, not even quite studio, a little one-room apartment yeah. along the waterfront so that I could easily walk 10-15 minutes in the morning quite fast to get yeah. into the main hub. And um, it was on a busy road with buses back and forth, so that was all good. But it was quite noisy. And one night, um, I wasn't, because I, I didn't go out partying, because I wasn't invited to go out partying at all the Australasian gigs or whatever that might have been. So I was home certainly on a Friday or a Saturday night wanting to go to sleep because I would have had an early start the next day. And there was a huge venue looking a little bit like a big stately home across the road, pumping, pumping bass house music uh, until quite late. And I actually put clothes on and went across the road and in my inimitable way said, in perfectly reasonable French, do you think you could turn it down a little because I'm trying to sleep across the road? And of course the guy was just like, mm-hmm, sure. Like, no. Yeah. Uh, I thought I'd give it a chance. I was like, dude, it's like Hubbard's 11 or whatever. Maybe it was like after midnight. Whatever, I didn't think I was that unreasonable. But they were just like, lady, you're having a laugh. So that was a bit of a mess. I can, I can understand that, that they were be. like, lady, you're having a laugh. Yeah, um, right. Because yeah. it's can week. And, but, yeah. also, but also, or two weeks or whatever. Yeah. But, but also, you know, parties of that nature, you know, if you turn up at 10.30, you're well early and by yourself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, that was too loud. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Don't you realise we had to watch movies at 8.30 in the morning? Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, well, someday we'll get to go back and tell everybody at Cannes that they're keeping us up. One last question. Did you get to go on any yachts? No. Ooh. No. There were plenty oh. moored in the bay, but I didn't go on a single one. Did not go on a single one. I didn't know the, I didn't know the right people in those days. I don't know that I know the right people now. But um, there's time to meet the right people, I suppose. Yeah. I think I'm past the age where I'm... In my youth, I probably would have... Gone out on a yacht. Sneaked into one. Snuck out on a yacht. <laughs> I've, I've done things like that in this country and other countries where you've just yeah. got to find yourself yeah. in places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing interesting things. Yeah. I, th- I think the real question is why doesn't the New Zealand Film Festival have more parties on yachts? Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, you know. Considering we're in Auckland, city of sales. In we need, July. We need, yeah. We need to get a new sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Lots of women in bikinis. I'm sure that someone could stretch to that. Men and... Oh, you know, doesn't matter. Cool. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time Thanks, to Sarah, that was join us in yeah. your house. <laughs> All right. Kruter or Rams by Grimmer Hakanarsson. Um, we mentioned that this is the uh, annual version of us butchering foreign names. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I could leave, but uh, not annual. We pretty 
much do it every time, but I think this is in particular. I mean, um, my, I haven't been practicing up my Icelandic, but... Uh, <laughs> Ruta? It, yeah. Ruta? Yeah, sure. Um, so it'll probably be released as Rams here. Anyway, yeah. it's an Icelandic film that's about Icelandic sheep farmers, and it's pretty low-key and pretty apparently fantastic. Well, I mean, um, clearly it's got a lot of crossover with uh, local local market. Yeah, That's true. I think it's probably handled in a more sort of dry, observational we know manner a about with sheep. a sense of humor. We do know a lot about sheep, so maybe it's a bit close to Newcastle. Kruters <clears throat> is supposed to be quite good and quite droll comedic. Yeah. Um, I oh, would really? like to um, go to a, f- a couple films that are in comp- yeah. competition there that got no prizes, yeah. but that I'm looking forward to. Um, my mate Paulo Sorrentino, who we recently yeah. discussed, this must be the place, place and of yeah. course uh, Le Grand Beleza, aka yeah. The Grand Beauty. I still haven't um, seen that. Oh, I've got a copy gosh, of it so waiting good. around for me to so watch. Good. Some... I've seen it twice on the big screen. And his new film, Youth, is his second foray into English language. Okay. Um, this must be the place got a bit of a, um, a slating from a lot of quarters. I a, really like that. I like that. Dan Slevin loved it. Um, yeah. You loved it. Um, but Youth, I think, has gotten a more across the board. Uh, I don't know. There's this weird section of like film critics who are like really hate everything Sorrentino does, like Cinemascope. Like yeah. when they announce the um, winner, they're like, oh, Sorrentino didn't get it. Because apparently anybody who tries to make their film cinematic is a bad human being. Oh. Um, but I don't think that. I think that, you know, that his embrace of an overly kind mm. of Baroque style yeah. that's, that's going for broke at every moment um, is really exciting. Mm. And um, we'll see what to make of this film. Um, it's uh, Michael Caine starring in it, along with Harvey Keitel, Jane Fonda, wow. Paul Dano, Rachel Weiss, and um, also some musical segments. And like one of the great moments of This Must Be the Place was um, David Byrne performing in it. Oh, wow. um, and uh, this film has uh, both Mark Kozalek and Paloma Faith performing inside it. Why um, those names I don't recognize. Mark Kozalek is from a band called Red House Painters that was from the sort of the mid-90s. And um, there's a beautiful moment in The Grand Beauty that's set to a Damien Gerardo song and kind of a plaintive acoustic yeah. song. And um, Mark Kozalek works in a similar vein. Oh, okay. uh, Paloma Faith is a, the name I a British R&B yeah. soul uh, kind of singer. She's put out three records. I really yeah. love her first two. The third one, uh, she got Pharrell on it, and it sounds like a generic Pharrell kind of thing to me. But um, I still think she's fantastic, and like, and she's a bit bombastic and um, into like stuff like Wong Kar Wai and things oh, like right, that. Yeah. And so, like, I think those styles could go very well together. So I'm desperate for that. Uh, rumor on the street, though, is yeah. that uh, the distributors have barred any non-can screenings of the English language cut until September. Oh wow! Um, in fact, in Italy which is full of cinephiles that wanted to see it in its original language. language yeah. They've only got the it- Italian dubbed version because apparently Italy um, is notorious for its piracy and they don't want to ruin the American release of it. So they don't get the Ameri- the original language version vision. until September. So oh, yeah. lots of cinephiles across there. Um, the other film that's English language that I am really surprised that I'm excited for because I've seen three of his films and I didn't like any of them is uh, Denis Villeneuve's new film Sicario. Ah, yeah, uh, Now, yeah. Denis Villeneuve, I've seen Encendies, yeah. 
uh, Prisoners, which yeah. was the Hugh Jackman yeah. revenge film, yeah. and uh, Enemy, the Jake Gyllenhaal yeah. clone kind of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, well, and I think that all three of those have different failings. To yeah. Them. But in general, it's just like a script I don't give a shit about. And <laughs> yeah. like kind of, I'm just, and there are beautiful moments of cinematography in all three mm. and there are things, but it's just kind of like there's no overall sensibility that locks me in. But uh, Mike D'Angelo, who has, I think, a similar relationship to Villeneuve that I did, mm. uh, saw Sicario there, which stars Emily Blunt and uh, Josh Brolin oh, yeah. and Benicio Del Toro. What's well, a great and, cast. Yeah, yeah, and it's a um, war on drugs film that's largely set in Mexico. Oh, right. And uh, apparently there's just, it's one coup de cinema after another. Wow. Just great set pieces and um, defying narrative expectations. Um, he compared it sort of to Training Day oh, wow. on a grander scale in a yeah. way of some Emily Blunt playing sort of the Ethan Hawke character yeah. who's watching this bloody disaster unfurling and yeah. yet has no power to, do any to set it right. And um, and so that uh, reaction means a lot to me. Again, and I love Emily Blunt. I, like she was early on in a few things that I didn't really love, um, like um, Jane Austen Book Club and what have you. But, um, but I, I was worried you were going to bash her in Devil Wears Prada for a moment. There. I guess I'd have words. And, um, and Edge of Tomorrow, she's fantastic in. Which one? Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, she, yeah, she is. Fa- I love yeah, that film. Um, and she was. I, yeah. lo- I love the way that the end of that film, well, at least the end of her part in it, is um, her yeah. in a state of not really remembering, just going, what do you want? That and moment, rough, yes. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was a tricky film and, and a really underrated film, I mm. think. I think it's one of those that will, 20 years from now, yeah. people are going to be like, that's one. That, it's kind of like a film like Blade Runner or yeah. the thing where it didn't get the reception it necessarily deserved on its theatrical release. And people are going to be like, you went and saw what instead yeah. of this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Godzilla! Yeah. Really? Um, yeah. So, what other films are you? Um, well, and, uh, there's uh, another um, Mika film coming out of um, Director's Fortnight. Um, yes. Um, yes. Yakuza, Yakuza Apocalypse. Apocalypse. No, and Mika, you know, he's he's a little bit all over the place. I mean, I, I guess. To a degree, we are sort of highly filtered in what comes to New Zealand because he yeah. puts out so many films and we don't see three or them. four films yeah. a year. And, and we, we maybe catch one or two a year if we're lucky. Or, um, oh, I think maybe one every two years. Yeah, I yeah. mean, Lesson of the Evil was yeah. probably the last one, wasn't it? We yeah, didn't yeah, get yeah, Shield of Straw, no, which is yeah. a can competition. That but um, this one, video. this is like. Uh, there's a vampire element to it. There's um, there's a vampire element to yeah, it. Oh that I think. gosh! Wow. There's, there's I know y- there's a giant killer frog y- or a guy in a frog costume. If you if you watch the um, trailer, which you may or may not want to do, it starts off looking nah, like a kind of that shit. Uh, a stylized Mika style Yakuza film, but yeah. it goes into the surreal realms of what the hell is this? Like it, I I started to think I was watching one of these strange Japanese advertisements as one for a USB lighter. Right. Um, <laughs> Which, which brought to mind because it just it's these people in this kind of slightly um, stylized surreal Yakuza film and then suddenly there are people in weird um, frog outfits and then there's like um, people blasting up in the space and what the mm. hell is happening yeah, um, it yeah. Just, it's one of those things that appeals to my sense of quirk um, yeah. violent quirk I um, <laughs> I saw it compared positively to Gozu which is one of oh, Mickey's right, yeah. more insane yeah. moments and yeah. so if it's anything like that um, I'm hoping for a 10pm yeah. civic screening where we just go So we've got to get that up. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was in Director's Fortnite and Director's Fortnite is actually a separate... Cyber, it's, yeah. Well, I'm not even... 
I think it's actually a separately run festival in the same way that Slam Dance oh, runs at yes. the same time as Sundance. Yeah, and well, it wasn't um, that was where It Follows came out of, wasn't it? During the night? I can't attest to that. That's quite possible. I think it was. Uh, I think it originally did. Um, no, you might be right. Um, but three, my actually three most anticipated films of Cannes all came out of directors' fortnight. Oh, yeah. I say three, but um, one of them is three films in its own. So the director of Taboo, uh, which put a few years oh, back, is yes, Miguel Gomez, yes, um, which I yeah I raved that. about. Um, he's done a three-volume series called Arabian Nights, and that um, is somehow a remix of you know the original Arabian Nights tales, oh, yeah. um, transposed to present-day Portugal oh, yeah. uh, with some documentary element of the political issues of present-day Portugal, and uh, all the accounts of it are raving and uh, it just seems like one of those mixes that shouldn't work a bit you know like yeah. you put your chocolate in my peanut butter oh wait this is brilliant um, and Gomez is uh, I, I mean Taboo was the best film that I almost ever walked out of yeah. um, because five minutes in I'm like oh, I can't deal with this and it's just like oh wait as you saw what it unfolded and that the artifices which initially became annoying were a text that he was commenting on and especially in the second half as it became uh, enmeshed in the world of silent film and mm. using that as quotes in a way mm. uh, which just ravishing and heartbreaking um, and bringing this whole sense of cinematic history to a film that had very contemporary resonances mm. with uh, immigration issues in Portugal and things wow. like that. Uh, and so I, I, I'm not yet ready to say he can do no wrong, yeah. but there's certainly benefited the doubt category. So another director's Fortnite film I'm yep. really keen about, um, if Arabian Nights is the maxi feature, yep. then uh, The Exquisite Corpus is the mini feature. It's only 18 minutes. Um, but I'm praying that we get it. Okay. It's by the director Peter Sherkowski. And uh, he's had a film that played many years back called Instructions for a Light and Sound Mas- Machine. Uh, I believe he's Austrian. I might be getting that wrong. But he does these very experimental films where he repurposes existing footage and oh, creates loops and plays with the textures of 35 millimeter. Uh, oh, yeah. One of his most famous films is called Outer Space, where he takes a loop of fe- uh, footage from uh, The Entity, the 80s yeah. horror film, and um, transforms it into this e- physical experience of a film mm. that's almost destroying itself by its haunting. And um, and so he's made these very visceral films, um, Instructions for a Light and Sound Machine, uh, played with the end of The Good and Bad, The Ugly, and I don't know what films he's played with this one, but I know that it's um, he's applying this technique to um, sexual content. Oh, right. And um, he makes films like nobody else in the world. Mm. Um, and I'm dying to see it in on the biggest screen as possible um, because there is just this sheer experimental physicality of it. Um, I wonder the, if it'll be part of the, um, the, the, the... For a couple of years, I don't know the, that they did it last year, but NZFF did a, a series of... like kind of found footage features. Yeah, I mean there's there's been a sort of well, there's been a ta- there's been a tapering of the experimental yeah. sections over the years which is yeah. um, perhaps but necessary but unfortunate. Yeah, but I I'd, I'd hope if they make room for any they make room for this one. Yeah. Um, a final one that played in um 
Oh, uh, there's two actually others that put in director's Fortnite, but another one that I hope that I'm pretty sure they'll make room for because his first film played here. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeremy uh, Solnier, uh, or Solnier, he's American, so who knows how he pronounces yeah. it, but he did a film called Blue, Blue Ruin, Ruin a couple yeah. years ago, yeah. which is a terrific offbeat revenge thriller, yeah. um, which there were two camps. There were people who loved it and people who I don't think quite got that it was a re- revenge film about somebody who's really bad at revenge. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so the complaints I've heard about it are from people who are like, well, that's a really dumb way to try to get revenge. It's like, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> He's not good at it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, um, and so there's this, this really great... Um, sense brilliant cinematography great quiet Mm. sense of humor really amped up stress levels um, which seems a perfect match for this new film Green Room the only things I didn't quite buy in Blue Ruin were a couple of the performances Uh, and he's upgraded the cast this time so Green Mm. Room has um, Anton Yelchin Imogen Poots um, Alia Shawkwat who you might not recognize the name but she was maybe in Arrested Development oh yeah And and so and they're in a they're in a punk rock band yeah. and they go play this gig somewhere in Oregon uh, at this white supremacist club they have a bad feeling about it they play it yeah. and then they witness a murder uh, and then they wind up it suddenly like turns into this like how are they going to get out alive they lock themselves in and the skinheads who are led by Patrick Stewart <laughs> as in Sir Patrick Stewart as in as in what's his face from Star Trek The Next Generation Captain <laughs> um, Picard Jean-Luc uh, is it, Picard sure yeah is it Jean-Luc Picard yeah Really? Yeah. Is it? Uh, wow, I should know these things, but it's just like such an obvious Godard reference well, that I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, and so it's apparently hilarious, incredibly violent, incredibly unexpected. Um, people don't die in the order you think they're going to die, and uh, it just tore the roof off a can. Wow. Uh, so I cannot wait to see that. Um, and then the other director's Fortnite uh, that has got a lot of uh, great critical praises. Turkish film called Mustang um, by uh, Denise Gamze Erguven, uh, maybe, uh, <laughs> as is usual with our foreign yeah, pronunciation. Yeah. But um, Mustang is about a group of five young women. It sounds almost a little to me like Dogtooth and that they're living in a oh, kind right. of collective situation yeah. and then um, and they almost worked as more of a collective intelligence than individual characters. Uh, it sounds a bit abstract art housey, yeah. but um, I'm very optimistic Optimistic that is the best European film winner in the director's yeah. fortnight that we might wind up getting that one. Well, I'm, I'm certainly interested in it. I mean, the I've had a good run with Turkish film, or well, you know, whether it's sort of straight Turkish for want of a better term, or um, the whole German Turkish link. There's been some really interesting films. So yeah, you're talking about Turkish Spider-Man, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, what what are you talking about actually? So there's Nuri Belge Ceylon, yeah, who's um, Belge Ceylon, excuse yeah, me, yeah. Who, who obviously does a, a range of really fantastic films coming out of Turkey. Um, Fatih Akin, oh, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah German Turkish, yeah. So yeah, is there anything else that really um, strikes your fancy? I mean, I know that like for instance the new Gaspar Noé film, yeah, premiered, uh, which yeah, um, kind of got mixed mixed reports, didn't it? I mean, I'm not a big Gaspar Noé fan. Like, I'm a, yeah, I haven't sort of put. 
enough time into his work, I guess. But Enter the Void, I found really enervating. Like, it's, yeah. uh, there's the best 90 minutes of it are an amazing 90 minutes, and yeah. it's 180 minutes. minutes yeah. Um, so yeah, I I'm curious about it. It's a, it's 3D. It has graphic sexual content. It seems like a bit of as somebody who's been a bit of a provocateur. It seems like kind of like a chance for aimless provocateurism. But it also like he does stuff on film that nobody else can yeah. do. You know, like the the first person stuff in Under the Void is yeah. extraordinary craft wise. So I feel like I have to see it, even though I might not enjoy it very much. Oh yeah. Oh, one of the other ones that um, that we were talking about earlier, that new adaptation of Macbeth. I'm a sucker for for um, Shakespeare. Yeah. Well, cl- which, not just Shakespeare, but just kind of yeah. classic English lit sort of stuff. So um, I'm always keen to see how people will adapt that. Have you um, seen the new Madame Bovary? It's not English lit. I guess it's French lit. Um, no, I haven't. Um, but I'm. Um, but I'm, I'm <laughs> Very soon going to see um, Far From the Madding Crowd Right Thomas Hardy So um, quite quite keen on that Yeah um, And I don't always have the best run with them But you know Occasionally you get something really interesting Like Andrea Arnold's um, Wuthering Heights which Right Which I still haven't seen Yeah One director that I was really looking forward to And um, got a bit slated initially out of this yeah. um, Kiyoshi Kurosawa Who oh, is famous yeah, yeah, for yeah. Cure and Pulse yeah. And yeah. I remember Um ages ago uh, when we did the show with Dan Rutledge I was talking yeah. about his film um, uh, The Day of the Perfect Real Plesiosaur which became real yeah. which came out here and was not turned out to be not very good yeah. um, and he had a film called Journey to the Shore that's a ghost story that appe- premiered in an incident regard and um, uh, got scathing reviews from uh, people who have been Kurosawa fans I, I keep bringing up Mike D'Angelo as this is the Mike yeah. D'Angelo hour but he, yeah. <laughs> he, he uses the the numeric rating and gave it a 22 out of 100. Um, but it wound up winning a prize. And Kurosawa has a really strange energy to his work that's a very off and um, if it comes here I will watch it um, because uh, his films do have this uncertain rhythm mm. that carry you through things and there are these um, directorial signatures like he really loves these destroyed ruined landscapes and he oh, finds yeah. ways to fit them into films and they're very cinematic um, the nature apparently it's like a ghost film but there's no almost no special effects in the Ghost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a guy that shows up and I'm like, hey, remember me? I'm the person that died three years earlier. Um, I might not have the details yeah, yeah, here, yeah, but, but roughly yeah. that kind of thing. And so, uh, yeah, hard to tell what whether the word of mouth is true in that. It certainly wasn't as uniform as like the septic word of mouth on the Gus Van Zant film, The Sea of Trees, for yeah, instance, yeah. which was just scathing from yeah, tip yeah. to tail <laughs> uh, about a stern, whatever yeah, analogy yeah. you want to use. Uh, um, well, another one that um, I know, I really know nothing about it, but um, on the strength of his work and just generally um, Romanian cinema, um, The Treasure by um, Cornelio um, Perumbio. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, who did Police Adjective. Yeah, yeah. And 1208 East of Bucharest. Yeah. yeah. And Police Adjective, I enjoyed. It wasn't my favorite film, but I love 1208. Um, oh, 1208 was amazing. I mean, Deadpan. Um, I, yeah. I love Deadpan, and, and that was just a, a really nice example of it. Yeah, that was a film I went in knowing nothing about, and that just kept blindsiding me time after time. Yeah. Um, and po- as with you with Police Adjective, I had a bit harder time of getting on the wavelength, yeah. but I felt like it paid off. <laughs> and I've heard um, similar comparisons with The Treasure to Police yeah. Adjective. And people who loved that police adjective really loved that. And people who are less with it uh, were less with it. Similarly, um, have you seen any of Radu Muntin's films? 
Who? Uh, he's another uh, Romanian director. He did a film called Tuesday Before Christmas, which I think might have played um, <coughs> oh, World Cinema Showcase back when that oh, existed. Okay. But sir, I caught up with it on Second Run's uh, DVD oh, yeah. label, yeah. and it's terrific. It's a um, uh, portrait of a marriage on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Mm. Uh, and One Four Below is described as his... Uh, um, version of Rear Window, uh-huh. uh, basically, as and so, um, yeah. I mean, there's this whole sort of Romanian school where these directors. I mean, Christian Mungu, yes, um, Christian yeah, Mungu. yeah, and is would be the most famous uh, Romanian film. But the, the, that all these directors yeah. are sort of informing each other's yeah. work a bit, uh, and so I'm really curious to check that out, even though it met with mixed reviews. That that's the thing is that mm-hmm. um, I mean there's there's sort of the joke about Sundance that there's yeah. the altitude that um, yeah. affects everybody's impact and I'm curious with for instance um, you know what does it mean when everybody's getting up to watch a film at eight thirty in the morning yeah right? like well, for instance Deepon yeah. like a lot of the critics that went to see that at eight thirty in the morning had been to Gaspar Noe's film the night before oh, which yeah. didn't finish till three thirty a.m. yeah and so, and so to follow that up with something yeah. like that's a very quiet observational thing. Might not work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Another one that that would be of interest, even the Pichipong Wurasikul. Yeah, if that's you might know him as Joe. Joe, yeah. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> um, the lives of Uncle Boomy. Um, there are syndromes in a century. Yeah, syndromes or in a century. Yeah, years, yeah. Tropical malady. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's got an, another one, Symmetry of Splendor, and, mm-hmm. and they, he's an interesting filmmaker. So uh, obviously his stuff is going to be whether whether yeah. it, it's going to grab you or not. It's probably worth looking at. Yeah. There's this interesting thing, and I, I'm going to digress a bit because even more than normal. Um, because I've, I've watched a couple um, new release films this week uh, mm. in preview screenings. I watched uh, San Andreas yep. and I watched Aloha. Oh, right. Uh, the Cameron Crowe movie. Yeah. And, uh, and Tomorrowland as well, which you were yeah, in yeah, as well, which maybe we can talk yeah. about. And both Tomorrowland and Aloha are really ambitious, confused mm. misfires. Yeah. Um, Aloha's a really big misfire. Yeah. Um, Tomorrowland I found more to viscerally enjoy in because yeah. Brad Bird's such a great action director. Yeah. Um, and some of it's so vi- visually beautiful. Yeah. Um, whereas Aloha I just found very confused. Apparently there was maybe 30 minutes cut out of it which might have helped explain mm. some of that. Um, and then I saw San Andreas which has no direct personality whatsoever um, but so just, presumably that's like a disaster movie yeah uh, oh, so it's uh, the San Andreas fault oh, yeah. goes off and sends earthquakes up from Los Angeles yeah. to San Francisco and the rock is a emergency helicopter fighter in Los Angeles and who helps Dwayne, everybody Dwayne Johnson yes rock. Dwayne yeah, Johnson yeah. aka the rock well, yeah. and then um, except and he does everything he can to help other people except when the earthquake happens and his daughter's in San Francisco um, he screws everybody up and goes out to San Francisco but the thing is San Andreas is a film of modest to negligible goals yeah. that totally delivered on this lizard reptilian level like yeah. I was with it for two hours <laughs> I was like this is everything I want from this film that has no directorial personality yeah. or no kind of self 
awareness of its yeah. failings or yeah. like I saw someone tweet yesterday Becca Burns bless you that you know I have expected a bald eagle to fly through at the end of it because it is like <laughs> it, it, it could actually end with the team America yeah, yeah. America yeah. fuck yeah, yeah. Um, um, and so when I'm like you know when I'm booking my films for New Zealand Film Festival it's like well do I book the films that I think are going to be good and deliver at a consistent level or do I book these films that are ambitious yeah. and might not be successful and might even be boring or frustrating yeah. but that are, are going to be nothing like I experienced yeah. and I think of um, Hard to Be a God which yeah, went last yeah. year which I found to be you know it was a tough sit, it was a tough watch and yeah. there's a lot of problems with it in terms of like what you want from the joy of just going to a movie and yeah. having a complete experience <laughs> but I haven't forgotten in it. No. And there's, I never would have a chance it was like to spend those three hours in the muck. The muck. You know? Yeah. And and it's a really unique experience. And so, like, Cemetery of Splendor may wind up being a bit dull, may wind up being a bit confusing, may wind up being a bit mm, not that. Piece, yeah. But if it's that, or if it's, you know, the, the film with three well-known British actors that's going to come back three months later to the Bridgeway and live yeah. there for four months, um, I'll probably go with it, you yeah. know? And, and I think you've got to do a mix, man. Yeah. Like, particularly if you're seeing any any number of films, um, any any more than sort of like 10, you really want to get a mix of um, of stuff. Like for me, I, I yeah. want to be challenged. I want to find stuff that's different or, or, you know, take a punt on something that you know nothing about but seems like it could be a bit weird or a bit odd that might fail yeah um rather than getting like you say getting the thing that's going to drift through the rialto in six months time yeah and that's always a bit of a crap shoot um I mean, the one film that uh, played at Cannes that uh, we won't be getting because it's already played that's, I think, the perfect combination of directorial personality and delivering on that um, promise is uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Have I you haven't made seen it, it yet. yet? No, I'm, I think I'm, I'm hoping to see it um, on Tuesday, actually, in a couple of days' time. So. Yeah, I, I'm seeing it again tomorrow. I've seen it once. And... Um, it's a difficult film to talk about because it was so highly praised and I felt that my reaction to it the first time that I got very focused on minor things that weren't quite as good as I expected. Yeah. And with the benefit of having watched a couple weeks of movies since then, I'm like, wow, this is a fantastic film because it delivers on both that sense of a directorial signature yeah. of something that's very unique, very personal, and very um, outside of the mainstream of what's mm. delivered, and yet is services every need mm. of a massive blockbuster. I mean, yeah. one, of the, one of the problems with it is not yeah. a fault of the film. It's a fault of the fact that we've seen so much CGI yeah. that nothing uh, really surprises us anymore. Nothing takes us yeah. off our seat. You know, anything's possible. And so one of the things that made me really excited about it was watching some behind-the-scenes footage recently yeah. and realizing how much how of that was... CGI, yeah, that's really... Like, yeah, w- that was yeah. really just pulled off in the field, and it's actually... Those trucks are exploding in real time and turning over wow. and those yeah. guys that are on poles and swinging back and forth guys are, are guys yeah yeah and and that it's just like That's oh my cool. god how did anybody you know it, it's kind of the reaction i had at the end of the raid where you know yeah. there's three people alive at the end you're like i don't think three people deserve to be alive at the end of this film <laughs> you know? when you saw the list of what 20 20 odd <laughs> medical staff yeah exactly <laughs> um and so i'm really looking forward to seeing that again mm. uh 
and having that kind of having had sort of the first yeah. breathless kind of wave of praise sweep over me the yeah. day before and going and, and I guess that's the other side of Khan as well is that Khan is the kind of the zone for really weird or highfalutin art house sort of material but it's also a place where there's no know, pre-processing yeah where Pulp Fiction came yeah. out of it um, films that might have been a bit kind of different but yeah. uh, certainly have mainstream appeal you know oh sure but I think it's also I, I mean and, and I think one of the things about uh seeing something in that environment mm. is you haven't been pre-programmed like all these films that we've talked about and yeah. you know others they're making like, of marketing machines with them now yeah yeah well even ones that don't like there's the new Hirokazu Koreda film Our Little Sister yeah. that's, and he did Still Walking yeah and Afterlife yeah and um, Air Doll and uh, Like Father Like Son uh, and yeah. um you know, people have seen that there. And yeah, it's a really nice film. It's a bit of an Ozu retread, and it's a bit like quite polite. But you know, you'll probably quite like it. It's like okay, well, I know what I'm getting into. Yeah. You know, and um, and with with all these films that have played there, you kind of have at least this initial thing that maybe you watch and you're like, oh, I agree with this, and or I disagree with this. But it's that compass point that yeah. uh, locks you into something that you're expecting it relative to, which was my experience with yeah. Mad Max. Um, and so that's, I mean, it, like, for instance, when I mentioned 1280s to Bucharest, that was one yeah. that was literally like, well, I'm in town and I've got a slot to fill and this sounds sort of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's that difficulty that I think we've talked about before in here of how do you capture that joy of being a cinephile and being like keeping up to date and all this stuff and yet at the same time wanting to have that sense of yeah. discovery mm-hmm. you know that you had when you were much younger and you didn't know what was supposed to be good or what wasn't yeah. or whatever and you didn't have 53 reactions on Twitter yeah. within 12 hours of a screening yeah. to tell you what you were supposed to think of it and um, you know like for instance the Amy Winehouse documentary which uh, is from the director of Senna like I don't have any particular interest in Amy Winehouse's music I don't have any particular uh, antipathy towards it either yeah but um, you know it's it got great raves and yeah and I mean I didn't have any I've, I, I could almost substitute that exact <laughs> sentence for my feeling about racing before I saw Senna and Senna was quite a good film well see and Senna I just found a pretty run-of-the-mill docker were, really. were you not a fan of Senna I, it was okay oh, okay yeah uh, I, if, I, if I can damn it with fine price <laughs> <laughs> I thought Senna was better than okay. But, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I, and I think maybe part of that's like working in documentary mm. stuff and seeing like just the way that it worked without mm. a narrator and with, yeah. that, and with just using contemporaneous footage to tell yeah. the story, I found like really inspiring from yeah. a craft level. But um, yeah, everybody's seen it, Amy and thought it was really good. And well, well I, see, I see the same thing. I haven't still haven't seen it, but um, I'm, you and a few other people have commented on the Katy Perry movie. Oh, that's a whole different cup of worms. Um, the Katy Perry movie is not a great piece of craft, but it is kind of fascinating in the antagonism between its goal of myth-making and what yeah. it actually reveals about Katy Perry in the process of making it. Um, and and this kind of, you know, this sort of promise behind the scenes look yeah. that has to be fit into a marketing schema. Yeah. And yet these bits that, especially because of her breakup with Russell Brand during yeah. the movie, yeah. that can't help but sneak through. Yeah. Um, 
but it's definitely like like it's not like with Senna I felt like okay this is a filmmaker um, Asif Kapadia yeah. who I'd be really interested to see his next work next yeah. work whereas with the Katy Perry documentary it's kind of like it there's a lot of right place yeah. right time like if she hadn't broken up with Russell Brand and she hadn't had that kind of pressure um, and, yeah. yeah it, it might have just Emotional been a run of the mill like concert to, it, it would have been like the Justin Bieber movie yeah. I guess I haven't seen the Justin Bieber movie maybe it's amazing maybe but, we're missing something yeah I, you know, um, I mean, history reveals these things, right? Yeah, and that's, yeah. um, we all have to have our filters because we yeah. can't afford to see everything. Yeah. And we, even if we have the luxury of advanced screenings, we don't have the time. And so we yeah. have to go like with our instinct. And my instinct is I can't be fucked with the Justin Bieber movie. <laughs> but, you know, um, 20 years from now, people are like, actually, you know, yeah. that's the gimme shelter of 2012 or whatever. <laughs> it's like, really? Okay. Oh, wait, you, you know, it is. And, Mm. Yeah, but the Katy Perry movie was more just a, a lack of the time and what was happening. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. um, I think that's the case with a lot of documentary, really. But for me, that, that was um, surprising because I just thought a Katy Perry movie, whatever. Why would I want to see that? But actually, yeah, well, people and have made comments which made me think <laughs> maybe I do want to see that. I, I I've watched it twice and I found it fascinating both times. But I think I'm also like I mean as. I mean, anyone who's seen Jake knows that I'm really interested in this idea of identity. Mm. And, like, there's Katy Perry, who is a human being, who is now, like, probably in her mid-30s or something, early 30s at least. And there's Katy Perry, who's the eternal... Performer, yeah. Yeah, well, the eternal teen who's appearing there and has to be, like, this... uh, vessel mm. for 13 year olds to be able to project themselves into yeah. and there's just this complete tension between these two things mm. that would exist at the best of times yeah. but this whole kind of um, moment when you're having your life fall apart yeah. and then you have to go on stage and I mean I am um, I interviewed, uh, this is going to get really obscure. No one will care and we'll probably cut it. But I interviewed uh, Sue Young Park, who plays in a band called Seam back in the 90s. And they were um, the first wave of emo, which isn't anything like emo that we know. But it's, you know, sort of indie rock with kind of an emotional influence. And um, he, you know, he had a lot of really tough songs. And and he was talking about, you know, it's like, yeah, some nights it's really tough because I'm just thinking... Man, I really like that barbecue restaurant I had tonight. I'm supposed to be playing this song that's breaking people's hearts, you know. And I'm just not yeah, connecting yeah, yeah, yeah. to it, and and that's um, and you know, Steve never made it big, and maybe yeah, that's yeah. part of the reason. Um, but um, you know, Katy Perry has to get out there mm. and make people believe yeah. in her, and she has to you know be that performer, and the dream of be her. that yeah. be that persona, yeah. no matter what's gone on in her life. And there's there's something and I've used the word before in this in regard to this film there's something Kafkaesque about yeah. this idea that like you can be anybody that you want but then you have to be that person for the rest of your life yeah. you know because she created the Katy Perry identity right yeah. it's not like something that somebody said this is now who you are it's like yeah. 
you know and she went through this whole phase of like actually I'm a Christian you know gospel yeah. folk singer and you know actually I'm these other you know actually I'm an Alanis Morissette clone okay now I'm this you know teen pop idol yeah. and so she went through these identities she found one that worked for her yeah. from a commercial perspective there's no question that it worked for her yeah. but now she has to be that no matter where she is as a human being yeah. and now she has to square the distance between her as a human being and this successful commercial enterprise yeah. that she's running that also has all these other human beings that are costume designers or yeah. um, backup musicians or whatever that are involved with yeah. it. And if, you know, if she were to say, you know, forget it all. What I want to do is be an experimental noise musician and play feedback for 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, you know. That'll mean the jobs. Of, that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's not just a decision that affects her. Yeah. her. And so... Um, I, I think that's fascinating. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that the craft of Katy Perry part of me is something that most people will find revelatory, but it does capture a lot of moments that give yeah. insight into that in a way that a lot of other documentaries don't. Mm-hmm. You have yeah. anything to add? Well, I do not so much to that. Um, Tomorrowland. Um, oh, yeah, let's talk about Tomorrowland. Uh, we're totally off can now, but that's okay. That, You're still that listening. Was, that, David? Was, uh, <laughs> that was, you know, David found great fault with this film. Mm. There's for, great fault to find with for, it. For valid reason. Um, like you, I kind of came out in a positive sort of place with it. Um, it certainly has faults. Um, it twists itself up in its, in its narrative, and mm. it kind of gets a bit muddied in terms of what it's trying to kind of get at um, mm. um, thematically. Um, or even just on a basic plot level, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. It kind of confuses itself in terms of the dual narrative with the George Clooney character and with... The, the younger one Casey who's in yeah actress, I don't know the name of um, who actually does really well for me the strength of the film were the two young actresses actually um, one yeah. who played kind of an animatronic character um, oh that's a bit of a reveal but yeah, yeah. Um, and and Casey the main girl who you'll see in the trailer touching the pen and disappearing um they were fantastic, um, and they were what drew me into the into the story. And, I mean, and there's other great aspects to it, like he, Brad Bird shoots some quite good action sequences. Mm. Um, and as as a kind of a, an entertainment piece, it works reasonably well. Um, but Britt Robertson, by the way, is the name of the uh, older actress yes. Yes. Uh, in it, and um, Rafi Cassidy is the oh, Rafi younger Cassidy. actress. Yes, yes. Who... I, I was quite impressed by her actually. She kind of mm. oh, she's fantastic. Yeah. It. she's she stole the movie for yeah. me. You know, but in terms of. Um, in terms of uh, the film itself um, has a like it's got that whole kind of thematic theme of um, of uh, looking at the future and figuring out how we get past the sort of the degradation of ideals that we've sort of come to and it uses ideas a bit around kind of climate change um, poverty global poverty all these ideas and and the idea of hoping for something better and how do we achieve that finding finding um, it's about idealism yeah it's yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, in some ways, it feels kind of naive. Um, mm-hmm. I'd agree with that. Uh, but in kind of the sense of this tone of hopeful optimism and the power of of um, youth and the creativity of youth, um, it reminded me of some of the films I saw in, in my youth. Um, things what films like, are you thinking of? Uh, well, well, for me, I was thinking of things like um, not that it. 
scenes at all like these films in terms of its narrative content or anything like that but films like The Karate Kid films like Back, <laughs> Back to the Future um, I buy that other yep. people have mentioned E.T. right um, yeah uh, but films that have uh, an optimism and, and a sense of um, youthful naivety pushing past some of you know the, the jadedness of age and coming up with alternative solutions to things yeah. um, it, it's got that sense that tone of hopefulness but also wonder that kind of comes with it and for me I, I think it's a film that is actually made for its target audience which I would peg uh, uh, somewhere but kind of between 8 and 16 maybe yeah I think it'd be quite confusing for 8 year olds I, it I might mean be, I but, could be wrong I, you know you've got a 7 year old narratively it might be confusing but I think it's confusing for adults yeah. I've seen adults take but the exact tonally, wrong answer but tonally I yeah. think it presents this feeling mm. that I'm related to as a, as a, as a kid mm. um, and I think it does that reasonably well I, I think you're right about the tone I think it's hard for me because it's a mess. Mm. It is a mess. And mm. there was a deleted scene that recently linked that was three minutes of talking about what the point of tomorrow yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. And at the end of it, it says, and in 20 years, it'll open to the world. Yeah. And there's been this horrible, horrible misreading of it that says, oh, actually, Bram Bird is just doing Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Yeah. And he's created this world where everybody goes to to create a utopia and get away yeah. from the world no, and let all yeah. the poor people rot. Mm. And it's like, when I watched it, I was like... That's the exact opposite of yeah. what I mean. You know, it's kind of like, yes, it's a world that's it's apart from the a, other world. It's creating a separate space for people to be able to innovate and and re- bring, bring it back to yeah, bring yeah. positive change. It, it's as it's as connected to uh, Atlas Shrugged as as it is to Lord of the Flies. Mm. And like, yeah, they're both like worlds that are apart from our world where something evolves. But like in terms of the themes and ideas that are being developed, mm. um, and it's very clear at the end. I mean, the first thing, um, not to get too deeply into spoiler territory, but one of the first things that once Britt Robertson has the agency to do that she does is restore the link between Tomorrowland and Earth. Yeah. And and that interplay yeah. of that is that it is supposed to be the, about the idea of this optimistic worldview. And, mm. and the, the funny thing about Tomorrowland is the actual antagonist is malaise. Yeah. You know, it is mm. this dispirited, defeated notion that we all have as human beings yeah. that the world is going down the tubes. Tubes, yeah. And that's incredibly hard to dramatize in any film. Yeah. Much less, or in any medium, much less film. Yeah. Where you actually have to have somebody... A character, uh, yeah. ...who's embodying it. But of course, the, the people who created Tomorrowland had this idea of positiveness. So there's this whole sort of whole confused, like, yeah. oh, well, I'm actually want the world to be better but I couldn't figure out how to make you guys make the world better so I'll make you think it's worse and then you'll get happy but then you really like dystopias um, and it's like really it's just it's just a, it's just all a bit yeah abstract in a way yeah that's not very visceral and these are all things that are wrong with it yeah but I, I loved it anyway <laughs> and I and I I, I don't I, I just think that like optimism is hard in film. I yeah. mean, Aloha is another film that tries to be optimistic yeah. and falls on its face. San Andreas, in its own weird way, tries to be optimistic, but in a really cynical way. Mm. Um, but I just think that uh, you know 
to be to have a fundamentally optimistic worldview, you can't have an antagonist who on a, on sort of these sort of, sort of worldwide levels. I'm not talking about micro dramas mm. that um, is realistic and plausible. Yeah, and that you can really defeat and believe about. Yeah, uh, and so you get yourself kind of tied up in knots of like, oh well, actually we're fighting about different ways to save the world, but we all agree about the same thing. But actually, yeah. we've become this horrible antagonist. But yeah. really, we all believe. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah. it's hard and. Um, yeah, which is, which is how yeah. they, I mean, it's an interesting way to play um, the character that Hugh Laurie plays. I mean, mm. yeah. Because, yeah. And David, as you mentioned, is quite right in his point where he's like, he's giving this denouement and he's like trying to explain all this yeah. stuff. And there's like this beautiful island in one yeah. thing and the edifices of Tomorrow End, which have fallen a bit yeah. on themselves. And, and pace-wise, the whole thing feels like a first act of a completely different film. Yeah. That's, you know, it's like, and now we have to save the world, the end. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're just kind of, and you can see the scars of kind of the editing of it. Yeah. But then you, well, you definitely, I, I, like I saw um, Hugh Laurie and his interaction with, um, with George Clooney's characters yeah. as a necessary exposition, or, or at least mm. possibly necessary, but, but it just dragged the film. There's all there's all these moments yeah. of exposition that don't quite work. Yeah. And but for every one of those, there's these beautiful scenes like mm. and 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 really you know you have Brad Bird's clever action direction. Yeah, yeah. And you have moments of just um and I think I think Britt Robertson just made such a huge difference to me yeah. as an actress who managed to embody this optimism as a young woman who's completely empowered. Yeah. Who is plowing her way through this scenario yeah. without an extraneous love interest. I mean, yeah. how rare is that? Yeah. You know, I think, and, and maybe there's things like that that other people are kind of taking for granted that I'm responding to. But she just sold this movie that, you know, young Athena um, is just powering through it and giving this crazy performance yeah. that's really weird and still works. Yeah. Um, these are all things that I don't take for granted in films that I see. No. And uh, it, again, it comes back to that, do you want the interesting but flawed thing or the successful at what it is yeah. but not particularly ambitious thing? Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's room for both. And yeah. there's times where you just want to watch shit blow up up and watch the Golden Gate get yeah, won yeah, over yeah. by a giant yeah, tsunami. Yeah. And, you know, there's times that you want to watch somebody really struggle with trying to tell an ambitious story, story yeah. and not not necessarily nail it, but get yeah. part of the way there. Yeah. Well, certainly I think I got to the end of it and thought, I'm not, I'm not sad that I've seen that. And, <laughs> and, I, and I could think of a, lo- a bunch of people who would be keen to see it. Yeah. Cool. And then, cool. anything else that we should talk about or shall we wrap this up? It's been a pretty long chat. So yeah. We'll, uh, no, we'll wrap it up. We but have some mercy on our listeners. And, uh, yeah. I mean, and he's hoping that we, we score as well for NZFF if we have the past from Khan. Yeah. And maybe get some of those other ones around the world. I'm, all, yeah. I'm really excited about Cartel Land, which has already been announced. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, there, and there's also the um, the live silent cinema. films, uh, yeah. yeah, the kid and lonesome. So, yeah. uh, sounds fantastic. Uh, yeah, and so we'll probably ramble a little bit about more about that or something else or all of the above. Till well, next time, it's great to have you here again. Yeah, it's Doug. It's Jacob. Best first podcast. Cheers.